Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie and I'm joined here as always by my co-host Azul GG. What's going on Azul? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Still trying to get back into the swing of things from uh, coming back from Salt Lake City Regionals. Um, and uh, yeah, just trying to pick back up with, uh, you know, content and coaching and all that fun stuff. So doing pretty good and uh, excited to talk about, uh, excited, to get, excited to get to another episode and talk about what we got to talk about. How about you, Chip? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, had a little uh, box tournament this weekend at a locals. I ended up getting top four, but I still got myself some packs. I just played Mew once again because it's like the only deck I have cards for. But today in the mail, I got all my cards for Arceus V Star. I got one more Arceus on the way. So I can finally, <laughs> when I'm playing locals, I don't have to play Mew anymore because I have the cards for another good deck now, which I'm uh, definitely excited about. I pretty much only played Mew the last like three times I've played at a tournament. So. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, we have to be give a big thanks to everyone listening right now, especially if you're listening on the YouTube channel, because we just cracked a thousand subscribers on our YouTube channel. Absolutely crazy. Our second episode did super well on YouTube. So shout outs to the YouTube algorithm for, you know, like pushing us out there a little bit. And thank you guys most of all, though, for clicking on the video, watching the videos, listening to what we have to say about the Pokemon TCG. Y'all support so far has just been absolutely amazing on this podcast. And we're only two episodes deep. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. Seriously, for uh, everyone who's listened and supported so far. Yeah, thanks a ton for that. And we got uh, some interesting stuff to talk about. So another regionals happened. Uh, the, the first thing we're going to be talking about is that that new item card that we kind of hinted at last episode was revealed. Yep. Um, some troubles with EUIC registration. I myself was not able to register, unfortunately, for the tournament. Some new cards were leaked. One is is uh, pretty interesting. It's almost like a, a fresh take on an old face or a fresh face on a... <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to say. You know, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool regionals happened and then Sao Paulo regionals are coming out. So a bunch to talk about. Uh, Chip, what do you think about the revealed card that was Energy Lotto? Yeah, so last week we talked about how a new card was going to be announced just a few hours after our last episode went live. We're, we're posting these at 7 a.m. every single Tuesday. And this went, uh, this new item card was revealed during a live stream for Japan. And I don't know if you watched the live stream or not, Azul, or like have watched the replay of it, but they did like, it was really kind of odd. So it's like there's this one guy who does a lot of the YouTube stuff for Pokemon Japan, and he was doing like a webcam game against someone else. They were just playing with some of the new cards. Like he was playing with the Amazing uh, Rare. Uh, not amazing rare the uh shining what, what's the new mechanic called sparkling the sparkling uh, yeah, sparkling uh, yeah it was he was playing an expanded sparkling heatran deck <laughs> was it so they weren't even like in like a studio or anything no was no like he was just like cam? at home or like in i guess maybe his studio uh and then he was just playing a webcam game against someone who was playing an archie's blastoise deck which is actually kind of interesting you know with luminion now right you know a water type to go with the archie's blastoise not that that Maybe really we'll matters. Maybe we'll get like a, a water shaman at some point. It'll just be all dive ball searchable. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, it was kind of, it felt almost out of place that they were doing that. But I think that format, I, I think it might not have even been expanded. It might have just been sun and moon on. Wait, actually, no, that's not even true because it had, com they had computer search and superior energy retrieval. So it was just literally expanded. Um, 
So I don't know. It just felt random. They did this little webcam game. And then after this webcam game, which lasted like 45 minutes, they did a little announcement for the new card that was to be revealed. And so it's like this big live stream. They hyped it up beforehand. And so I think everyone was expecting something crazy. You know, we were going to see Versus Seeker. We were going to see, you know, Trainer's Mail. You know, some of those predictions and stuff that we've thrown out there. But it was Energy Lotto which is a card that originally came out in Guardians Rising, which allows you to look at the top seven cards of your deck, and if there is an energy card there, you reveal it and put it into your hand. And Energy Lotto's a fine card. It's been played in the past. There are plenty of Zoark decks played it at some point, right? But it's not like crazy broken or anything like that it was this like it almost feels like this was just like a really big build-up to a very mediocre finish <laughs> yeah definitely not what i was expecting i was expecting like some kind of card like something well they said it was something from the past so mm-hmm. um but i was expecting something to be a little bit more impactful i guess it's like kind of cool with the intellion engine as like a one of and like arceus decks it's kind of like an out to energy for the turn but kind of like playing a fifth dte mm-hmm. um like energy lotto was pretty good in zoric decks yeah. you know back in the day but uh definitely was expecting something to be a li- something a little bit more hype this was pretty uh i don't want to say disappointing but it, it kind of was just disappointing in the end of it all sure. it wasn't it was kind of uh definitely kind of a letdown yeah i mean the card also did see some play in decks like night march right where you just were only playing a low count of energy so maybe in the future if there's a deck that plays just four dte or you know you play like four twin two dte something like that like maybe like a worm adam deck can now play less energy and play just like two if you can play two less energy and one energy lotto like that's maybe an okay trade-off something like that but other than that like so it's just a very much like an okay card not definitely not like a battle compressor or a versus seeker something crazy that i think is like what i think maybe a lot of people were expecting maybe uh hyped themselves up a little too much <laughs> to you know your expectations were set too high but i think expectations get set kind of high like that whenever you know you're teasing something in a way like that right yeah i mean i don't think we'd ever seen a card hyped like that before so it was like oh they're kind of making a big deal out of this and then it really wasn't yeah normally they just like impactful release them right like yeah <laughs> I, I mean arguably a bigger reprint like if they had done something a reveal like this for when dark patch got revealed that would have made sense right dark yeah, patch or was ultra a crazy... ball yes or ultra ball any of these cards that have been re-released recently or are coming out soon uh would have made sense but <laughs> energy lotto definitely no. was uh, a little <laughs> bit of a surprise it's a cool card i'm sure it'll be played here and there like i'm sure mu decks will play it at some point right or you know some you know we're madam's orc deck something like that but yeah, uh, i'm yeah. sure it'll, it'll 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 see play eventually it'll definitely won't be like a completely dead card so it'll see it it'll see its moment at some point not going to be like anything too ridiculous but yeah it'll it'll see play eventually for sure So now we got to move on to what has been a pretty sore subject in the Pokemon community today. And I know for you personally as well, which is the registration process for the European International Championships. So the European International Championships are set to happen. uh, What is the weekend? It is April the 22nd through the 24th, that weekend. So we're less than a month away and registration just went live today. And it went live today at 10 a.m. Eastern and sold out in 45 minutes with no announcement ahead of time of like, hey, this is when registration is going to drop. Be on the lookout. 
which is kind of weird because last week they literally tweeted registration is going live soon, but nothing else. They said it's going live soon, but not when. And then someone in the replies to that Twitter thread on the Play Pokemon Twitter asked, hey, will there be an exact announcement of what time it goes live? And the Play Pokemon Twitter person responded and said, we will let you guys know exactly when it goes live. And that did not happen. <laughs> it went live at 10 a.m. Randomly, no announcement. I think the RK9 Twitter tweeted out, which is the site that runs Pokemon's registration for these international championships. And it, it filled up in 45 minutes. And a lot of people who live on the Pacific Coast, whenever it was 7 a.m., your time, Azul, or people yeah. who live in Australia, when it was 1 a.m., their time, a lot of these players just missed out and didn't even have a chance to register for this tournament. Yeah, definitely really, uh, really unfortunate uh, with the timing and the, I mean, the timing of it all. Yeah, they, they said they were going to say something. I don't know if like, I don't know about that. I think people were reading a little bit too much into that tweet having to be like the, I don't know, like the end all be all of like, there were supposed to be like this huge announcements from the Play Pokemon Twitter and then yeah. there wasn't like, I don't know. I think it was maybe people were reading a little bit too much into that or like, we're worried a little bit too much about the well, fact that they didn't tweet something. But, but the thing I, is, is they did tweet something. They just tweeted it tonight. Did you even see that? Yeah, I did see that tweet okay. where they tweeted out and they were like, registration's open, um, you know, for everyone. And then, and then in the, for the TCG, it's only the juniors and seniors that have slots available. I did see that, but like, I don't know. It almost feels like they weren't going to announce anything on their Twitter. And, uh, but, but I guess then where's an announcement coming from, I guess on the Twitter anyways, right? Like, or like in general announcement has to come, should, should come from somewhere. Yeah. Arcanine's announced it. Um, and then a lot of other people in the community, once they saw that it was announced, you know, made their own tweets. So the word got around, but they're definitely, I guess there probably should have been some more official announcement coming out, um, from, from, from Pokemon. Yeah. And a lot of players will not be attending. Um, and we even have, you know, a lot of the I don't even know which of the Australian players made it, if any. Um, it was one a.m. their time whenever uh, it went live. So if if you weren't being a degenerate and up from one a.m. to one forty-five a.m., you just missed it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know a lot of Pokemon players are late night gamers, so I feel like probably, there's probably quite a few of them up. So I wouldn't be surprised if a decent amount of them uh, made it. Um, but uh, but they even have players who are in like Europe, like Nico. The last IC champion uh, from OCIC can't even go back to back on winning ICs because, and he's a European, he's European too, and literally doesn't have the opportunity to register. And it makes sense for them to kind of um, open registration. That makes the most sense for European players to be able to register. I think mm -hmm. like that kind of makes sense, right? Is the European Championship sure? Um, but yeah, it just feels kind of weird to like. It also is an international championship, right? That is also pointed a part, a point of the tournament is for it to be international, and now it's going to be definitely less so international for sure so i don't know it's a weird it's a really weird situation i think they could have done it better um and i think there's a, i mean there's a couple things they could have done different um for sure uh but yeah it definitely wasn't handled great i would say i mean i also think releasing it the day after a massive regional championships is kind of a poor decision because a lot of players spend that Monday traveling home. Like uh, Nico, the reason that he missed registration is because he was on a plane. <laughs> you yeah. can't register if you're on a plane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so it's just unlucky, unfortunate. And I saw Tord tweeted that he and Robin were on the same flight and that yeah. if their plane had landed 15 minutes later, they would have missed registration. But thankfully it landed in time. They checked their phones real quick. Oh, boom, registration's live. We better register real quick. Could take care of it on their phones but um 
there are a lot of people really interested in playing in this tournament and not a lot of spots. And so just because of that, there was not a lot of time allotted to players to be able to have a chance to participate. And now a lot of the best players in the world are not going to be at the event. You yourself are not going to be there. Nico, like we mentioned, the last international champion from 2020, won OCIC, is not going to be at the tournament. And I'm sure many others, you know, any play, I'm sure there's plenty of players out there who are in the top 16, top 22, or top eight races in their respective regions that will not be at this event. Yeah, it definitely sucks. Like, there's like a lot of, and I mean, I, you're not going to like do anything as far as like putting an asterisk next to the event or anything, but it, it definitely sucks. And it feels like they definitely had plenty of time to prepare for this. The last uh, European International Championship had 815 or 810 Masters or something. So you could have yeah. at least gone off of that number. Uh, a lot of people are obviously looking forward to getting back in the game. And maybe that's why they booked a smaller venue for it. I'm sure this venue has been booked for a qu quite a while in advance because they weren't sure how many people were actually going to show up to this tournament and maybe that's why they were, they got kind of scared of that and they were like we don't want to you know book a huge venue and then have only like 200 people show up right i mean um, i don't know that that was ever gonna happen though right like was there ever only gonna be 200 people interested in going to this thing whenever the last one had 800 and people haven't gotten to play pokemon in two years well we don't think so and we we know so because we're like you know in the community more and like we hear people are excited and talking about going and we look at you just look at kind of like the results from salt lake city that's the biggest uh salt lake city uh regionals that there ever has been sure it was standard by a to long the shot that too. were yeah it, it was standard and the past ones were expanded so i think there i mean there is like some you know there's something there for sure right mm -hmm. like more people want to more people will play standard than expanded but even then uh yeah you look at that and you're just like well wow there's a there's a lot a lot of people showed up to this um and i'm sure but i'm sure like the the european uh you know convention center or whatever was booked way before salt lake city even happened right so maybe that's just uh they didn't think a lot of people were going to show up so they booked a smaller venue i can't maybe that's the only venue available you know in the city that would have worked for them uh, I can't imagine that would be a thing, though, because a lot of places, a lot of things just aren't happening. A lot of conventions aren't happening right now in general because of everything that's going on. So I can't imagine it's hard to find a hall big enough to support, you know, a thousand per a thousand person Masters tournament plus everything else. Um, and, you know, everyone knows the Masters division TCG is by far the biggest, you know, group that is going to show up at any of these events. Um, I don't I feel like there should have been should have been a little bit better prepared for. So it does appear like the cap right now is around 500 players. I don't think that there is the exact number out there anywhere, but that looks like for TCG Masters, that's around what the cap was. Like we said, about 300 less than what the last EUIC had. Um, so, I mean, I, it makes it like you want to plan based on maybe less people coming, but at the same time, like there's a pretty good reference to go based off of um, I also think that adding a new game to the lineup took away from some seats potentially because, you know, uh, Pokemon Go will be at this internationals as a competitive yeah. event, which, um, you know, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out, to be honest. But adding this new game certainly takes away seats from TCG and VGC uh, players because VGC Masters is also sold out as well. Right. So they uh, yeah. There's I mean, a lot of players from both games who are really wanting to play at this event that won't be there. So I do think that this registration issue today that arose has certainly exposed some issues in this registration process. And I think maybe the biggest one is that people have to plan travel months in advance, right? You have to yeah. book flights if you're mm -hmm. going international, even if you're flying within 
you know, the continent of Europe, you, you still need to book, you know, reasonably far in advance. Most of the time, you know, you plan your hotels out with your friends and stuff like that. These things have all been planned for some people for over a month at this point. I think that the easy one of the easiest things they could do to alleviate some of the frustration from people is just open up registration way sooner, way earlier. Um, that does a few things. One for them is like it's there's less likely to be a frantic panic and push to uh, register because people haven't planned their trip yet, uh, right? Because like what has happened is people have been planning trips for the last few weeks. And they're like, okay, I'm just going to register as soon as it goes live. And they plan their trip, and then all of a sudden they miss out. Uh, whereas if registration had been live a month and a half or two months ago, you know, sure, it still would have maybe sold out in a few hours. But at least at that point, you don't have people who've already made arrangements to get to Frankfurt for that weekend. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. Like, they, like, that would be nice if they open registration months in advance. And actually, they were starting to do that with – uh, North American regionals at the end uh, before COVID shut everything down. I was like, I was like registered for events like three months in advance, four yeah. months in advance. Like it was a lot. Like they were getting really good about it towards the the end of uh, towards the beginning of COVID when everything got shut down initially. Because I got refunded for a ton of regionals uh, that I had already paid for to register. <laughs> I was like, I was like two, two or three months in advance registered up. I don't, I don't, I don't know why they can't do it sooner. Um, I don't know why they couldn't open registration sooner. I'm sure they have a reason the reason is just they didn't want to open it sooner that's not a good enough reason especially when this is the the outcome of it all and then there's a lot of people who i'm sure like i thankfully for me i didn't buy my plane ticket yet right i i did have plans for of who i was going to stay with but i'm not going to go to uh frankfurt anymore if i'd had my plane ticket booked already i probably would have gone and just hung out maybe get a spectator badge if that was possible and play pokemon um, go yeah maybe play pokemon go <laughs> <laughs> um but you know i didn't have my flight booked so i i'm, I'm not going to go anymore and if they do like a I guess the only thing would be maybe they would have a second wave of, of registrations open. We saw that for Liverpool, but um, this is like being run by, you know, that was tournament center. This is Pokemon. So there's definitely a difference there. So we don't, we don't know if that is something that will potentially happen. Um, but some people already have their flights booked and their hotels booked. So it really sucks for them uh, overall. It's just a really, really bad system. Um, <clears throat> and but there, are, there are some, there are some other systems they could potentially have used um and they could have announced when they were going to open up registration um or they could do what japan does which is the the, the full-on lottery system um <clears throat> so with the announcement one it definitely would have sold out in minutes right like that definitely is something that would have happened um and i think you even mentioned that carlos uh was tweeting back and forth with someone about that i think um mm -hmm. where it's like okay well if they don't do an announcement system it almost feels like a lottery system, but it's just kind of when you're awake at your computer during the day um, or during the night for some people. Um, and if you do an announcement system, it is everyone who is, you know, really wants to go is going to be sitting at their computer at, you know, 7 a.m. or uh, 10 a.m. Eastern when it went live, um, ready for it to kind of open up. Right. Um, and then you have an actual lottery system where everyone puts in their names and they pull a bunch of people out of a hat. Right. Um, I guess the biggest problem with that one I would have, and I think this is what you said, uh, we were talking before we started recording was just that uh you're gonna have a lot of people enter that system unsure if they're gonna go or like you know maybe like the the five percent chance that they might actually end up going to the event they're gonna be putting their names in there which is unfortunate for everyone who would be fully committed to wanting to go but um i think uh the way it went down i mean i don't, I don't mind them just kind of opening registration out of nowhere but like the time frame and the seemingly small cap on players where I think were the two biggest issues. So if those are fixed, it's fine for them to kind of just be like, oh, wait, you can register now as long as they allow more players um, 
and uh, as long as they uh, you know allow a bigger player gap or a bigger player size overall. But it, it doesn't really quite work for and how close it was to the event as well. They need to push it back two months, three months before the tournament, and then also have you know more players than this because it's I don't know it's pretty obvious that it was going to be more than five hundred players were going to we wanted to go to uh, UIC. Yeah, player cap way too low. Absolutely, it's supposed to be one of the biggest and most prestigious events of the year. You know, obviously not the prestige of Worlds. So it's like you know Worlds is the atop the mountain and then just a couple levels down the mountain you've got the four ICs are supposed to be Pokemon's biggest events that's where you've got the most eyes watching the tournament for all of your games and uh potentially tons of players right usually and this is the not the case for this tournament and it also makes me extremely nervous for NAIC uh, because what is the cap going to look like for that are they going to make it a thousand players if it's only a thousand players I mean, you're probably going to have several hundred players who would normally register that won't be able to. I think the last NAIC was like 16 or 1700, 1600, something like that. So uh, it definitely makes me very nervous for future registrations and stuff. And it also has a huge impact on people getting stipends for NAIC. So the top 16 players from the U.S., top eight from uh, Australia, top eight from brazil and then the top 22 from europe or not not, sorry not not top eight from brazil top eight from latin america all of latin america um those players in a certain time frame get a stipend to each international championship for each quarter so the time frame for players to get a stipend to the 2022 north american international championships is from when this mini season or whatever started from you know the first regionals in brisbane up until the end of euic so for in that time frame, we've got the uh, Brisbane Regionals, Salt Lake City, Frankfurt, or not Frankfurt, Liverpool, uh, Sao Paulo Regionals, which we'll talk about later on in this episode, and then now the European International Championship. So five tournaments for players to try to fight and compete for a stipend to one of the I would say the next most prestigious event of the year besides Worlds, right, is NAIC. It's the biggest in arguably the most difficult tournament in the entire Pokemon circuit to win just because of how massive the player pool is. Um, You're going to have a ton of European players who are going to have a hard time getting the stipend to that tournament because they can't even play in their own international championships. Yeah, it'll definitely, I think it'll hurt the, the, the EU players the most for sure, but then it would also hurt any, you know, any player who would like from out of Europe who had like already booked their trip with the chance of, you know, chasing that stipend, um, and now they, they can't, they, they, their, their trip is still booked, but they can't actually play in the tournament because they missed registration. Um, and then they plan to, you know, hopefully secure a stipend moving into NAIC. And now it's just like, they're not going to get the stipend. They lost all this money on the trip. Um, and it kind of <laughs> com, uh, compiles there, but it's going to, de- it's definitely, wor- I mean, it's worse for the European players, you know, who are, who are in that race. And now some of them can play and some of them can't play. So then all of a sudden, it makes it a little bit easier for some of the European players to, you know, secure that stipend. It makes it harder for the one, or it makes it impossible uh, for the other ones who who had a chance still as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, that's just another thing that another unfortunate uh, circumstance of the of the situation. Um, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I guess there's, I mean, there's nothing to do at this point except maybe hope that they have a second wave of registration. But um, I feel. I, I feel like it probably there probably won't be, but I'm I'm hopefully wrong. I feel like there probably won't be, but I, but I feel like I'm probably wrong on that one. Um, I, yeah, I also think that's the case because when you click on the Arcanine link to register, 
instead of saying like there's no tickets available at this time, it literally says we're sorry, the tournament has reached maximum capacity for your division. So yeah. that wording specifically makes me definitely think there will not be another wave, which is very unfortunate for a lot of players who've already got trips planned. Yep. Yep. It's just uh a uh unfortunate situation. Yeah. So moving on, we have a little bit more exciting news to talk about because <laughs> that's obviously <laughs> a little, you know, a little sad mellow tone to start the video off. We've got a few new cards revealed, which are all very exciting. So the first thing we're going to be looking at, uh, and these cards are all kind of themed around fighting and grass, which I think are two of the types struggling the most right now in the Pokemon TCG, probably grass more specifically. I think grass is maybe just the weakest type in the TCG right now. Maybe metal, I guess, like something like that. But metal is getting a big buff with Dialga V-Star in the next set. So uh, it definitely feels like grass is probably, would you agree with that? Like the weakest type right now. So it definitely could use the support. Um, Yeah, I haven't really thought about it too much. There's, there's quite a few weak types overall. I almost don't even consider... Mu V back Mu V Max to be psychic type because it's just so powerful. It <laughs> right. just is Mu V Max. It's just the fusion strike deck. Like being psychic type has nothing to do with the card basically at all. Besides, well, it, like, kind I mean, of, it does keep um, the fighting types. Yeah, from, yeah, like yeah, seeing I, a super high amount of success almost. Right. It it does hurt Rapid Strike Urshifu a bit. That is true. But like overall, it does not feel like it's. Uh, it just doesn't feel like it's like it's a it doesn't feel like it's a type. It just feels like it is just power. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think there's definitely going to be some good cards. The first one, of course, the one that everyone's talking about is uh, Gardenia's Gardenia. Vigor. Yeah. Uh, draw two cards, then attach up to two Grass Energy from your hand to one of your benched Pokemon. Um, so basically, Welder. The trade-off is one less card, but you could actually find the energy after you draw those two cards. So. I think this is probably more powerful overall. Like if I could pick if Welder drew one less card, but then just I could find the energy later. I feel like I would prefer that overall because you could just Dedene and Dedene afterwards anyways and just like draw a bunch of cards and you'd still be fine. So I think uh, this is probably slightly more powerful than Welder, but maybe just different. Maybe the best way to do it is just different. I think the biggest thing here that um, I've seen most people miss is that it doesn't have to be to a grass Pokemon. It can be to a bench Pokemon. So there's a lot you could actually do with this um, even as far as like, you know, playing this with Arceus. Yeah. So there's definitely, I think the comparisons to welder are very fair because it's a yeah. supporter that accelerates energy cards and draws you cards. Right. But there are a lot of things that make it quite different. The drawing first. And then the fact that you can only put them on a benched Pokemon as well, uh, makes it a lot that is weaker than welder, obviously, but oh, then that's true. Getting to draw the cards first is super strong because you don't even have to accelerate energy. You, it's just a draw supporter. Obviously draw two cards is not great, but, how often when you were playing welder decks back at the end of like the 2020 season, uh, did you just have like welder in your hand and no fire energy? And it's like, well, I get to do nothing this turn, right? <laughs> like that happened not super irregularly. And that's not something that you have to worry about with Gardenia. So I think if we're comparing the two cards just together, I think that that is a huge boost in favor of Gardenia being a little bit stronger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess it does have to be to a bench Pokemon, which will hurt it a little bit. But yeah, definitely going to be a very powerful card um, for sure. It might not see play immediately, but at some point it definitely will pick up pace and start to see a uh, a ton of play for sure. Because like, there's just, there's no way the card like this wouldn't see play. Uh, but it doesn't seem like broken yet. Yeah, the limitation of onto the only be able to put uh, energy on the bench and then also, you know, only drawing, you know, 
two cards as well. Like yeah. there are some limitations to it. And so, the fact that it accelerates um, grass energy, you know, while you can yeah, accelerate them well. to any type of Pokemon, right? So you can put them on anything that has a colorless cost, um, you know, which people did with Welder for a while. There were some Welder toolbox decks that played stuff like, uh, I remember people playing like Rhyperior V in a Welder deck at some point. <laughs> there was like, there was other stuff, right? That Like just big attackers that had colorless costs, but those decks were never that good. Welder was always best in fire type decks. And I think that will probably be true for Gardenia's Vigor as well, with the, I guess, exception of the fact that Arceus V-Star is a thing now, right? And is so popular yep. being able to attack for three colorless. But generally, a card like Gardenia's Vigor is only going to be as good as the Grass-type Pokemon in the format. And I think the Grass-types right now, excluding the, you know, stuff that exists or that, that is coming out that we're going to talk about here in a second, um, I think the things that exist right now are not the best. We've got, like, Delmize, VMAX, um... Shaman V-Star. Shaman V-Star is, like, pretty solid. Orbeetle V-Max, I guess, is okay, right? Um, you know, Orbeetle has been pretty good in the past. But I think, other than that, I can't actually even think of, like, the last really good Grass-type deck, to be honest. Yeah, we probably was. Oh, well, I guess Rillaboom, right? Rallon looks like it. Yeah, yeah, that's It's probably the, best good, the last good one. But, um, yeah, we haven't had a ton of uh, great ones recently. But there are some... Yeah, more new. I mean, that's not the only card we're getting. We're also getting the was it the I don't even know how to pronounce Hisuian. the Hisuian. Hisuian Lilligant V Star, um, and uh, the attack Grass Grass Colorless, 130, and then you may put an energy attached as well going back at your hand. If you do, you do 100 more. So 230 damage, 260 with the Choice Belt. You're not really quite getting there, but I think actually the V Star power is kind of the strength of this card because it really helps you set up. I mean, everything else that you could have going on in your deck. Uh, and the V-Star Power is an ability. Search your deck for up to five grass Pokemon and grass energy in any combination. So you can get your attackers. Uh, you can get the energy you need for the Gardenia's Vigor. Then you Vigor to your Pokemon, and you're kind of swinging from there. So this Pokemon itself, I don't think is enough. Like, I don't think you could just run, like, a Lilligan V-Star deck. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe 130 into 230 is enough to go back and forth. But I think you need, you either need a lot of healing to be involved, or you need some other kind of follow-up as well. But it definitely gives you a part of some kind of you know grass type engine with that v-star power for sure yeah the v-star power just setting up any pokemon you want and also getting you energy for your gardenia is obviously really good and also the fact that it's attack returns energy to your hand for you to gardenia into play onto something else on the next turn like that's a pretty good combo as well so there's some potential there for hisuian lilligant but i think the biggest drawback is going to be its lack of damage output you're just not quite getting there as efficiently as something like uh, Arceus V-Star, where, you know, Arceus V-Star does less damage than this Pokemon, but it's getting you energies out of the deck. Uh, so, you know, even though, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess it does KO opposing Lilligant V-Stars, right? So, like, 260 is, like, an okay number to hit. All the other V-Stars out there, I think, besides <laughs> Arceus, have that much HP. But as long as V-Maxes yeah. are around and Arceus is as popular as it is, it's going to be hard for Lilligant to really do much whenever it's not even uh, getting those uh, those key knockouts, right? Not hitting for quite enough damage. And then we've also got a few... So that, that that's the grass support that we've gotten. We've also got a few fighting support cards, one being a supporter itself, and that is Grant. And this has a super interesting 
uh, game design mechanic kind of involved with it. So, Grant, it's a supporter card. During this turn, your fighting Pokemon's attacks do 30 more damage to your opponent's active. So just the effect of Leon, right? Except it's limited yeah. to specifically fighting types. So obviously you just read that and you're like, this is just a worse version of a card that we already have. Why are they even printing this? But then its effect is during your turn, if this Grant card is in your discard pile, you may discard two cards except for Grant from your hand. And if you do, you put this card from your discard pile back into your hand. So you can discard two cards and just pop it back. It's kind of like a built-in versus seeker just on the card. Pretty, uh, definitely a very interesting game design mechanic. Yeah, no, I love seeing stuff like this. I love it when there's just something new, fresh, and then it's, like, good, right? Like, it's good. Could it be too good? Possibly, but probably not on a supporter that only allows you to do 30 more damage. Um, but, like, there's there's a lot of, like, that's a lot of, like, value to have in any type of a deck, right? Being able to just return any kind of card like this from your discard pile to your hand, like, whenever you want is just a big deal sure you need the attacker set up to be able to utilize it but just having a one of this in your deck making it get to your discard pile early through a quick ball or an ultra ball and then having access to this later throughout the rest of the game is a pretty big deal of course you're going to need some fighting pokemon to go with it so we're gonna have to wait and see you know if there's enough decent fucking fighting pokemon in the format when this comes out to actually make it viable uh the only the other uh cool combination you could do with this is actually play it in a mu v max deck so that way you can just like kind of help discard whenever you get those clunky hands with me where you just have a lot of dead cards in it you can grant discard two of those cards get the grant back so it's only kind of like a one for one trade-off you lose one card from hand because the grant goes back to your hand but then even if you don't need to play a you know a sparkle or a boss return you can just play the grant you don't have any fighting pokemon to do plus 30 damage but you just cleared two cards out of your hand as mu v max and now you're drawing more with your genesect so uh, there's also like a, other cool combos that you can do with it and uh, stuff with like Mew VMAX and I'm sure some other decks could possibly make use of this just as kind of for its discard effect in the future. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool card to have around and um, hopefully it it it, it uh, has some good fighting Pokemon to go with it in the future because it'd be a shame if this card never sees play. Yeah, I don't know about putting this with Mew VMAX or not, but uh, I, I think it's funny that that's like the first place your head goes as soon as we see new cards. It's like, hmm, how, can, how can I put this with Mew VMAX? Uh, Everything goes with Mew. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think an obvious combo for cards that we already have would be to combine it with Wormadam because there's a fighting type Wormadam. You can play that. You know, you do 30 more damage. And to get it back in your hand to play it, you can discard two Pokemon from your hand to boost Matron's Anger even more. So I think that's an obvious combo potentially uh, but there's also a new fighting pokemon coming out and you thought they were gone but they are not and that is machamp v max so this was actually teased uh, i think a couple weeks ago but just officially got revealed this past week v maxes are uh <laughs> they're not gone azul they're still here machamp v max has 330 hit points and it's first attack for a fighting and a colorless it deals 80 damage and if your benched pokemon have any damage counters on them this attack does 140 more damage so pretty solid hit for just two energy with the condition of getting damage counters on your bench and there's a stadium card that allows you to do that which we'll talk about here in a moment and then it's second attack for two fighting and a colorless is g max juggernaut for 240 this card feels like it is okay. You know, you do a sizable amount of damage for two energy with a choice belt and with playing a grant, you know, you're getting a little, you're getting pretty high up there with your numbers, right? And Arceus V-Star and Gengar V-Max being popular decks in the meta is definitely a good thing for fighting decks. 
But at the same time, a bad thing is Machamp Max is weak to Psychic. Yeah, so it's got some pretty, like, uh, middle-of-the-road attacks, I feel like. Like, it's not quite hitting the numbers you needed to to KO VMAXs. And, yeah, you're weak to Psychic, so it's going to be tough with Mew around. Maybe the Dark Pokemon in the next set kind of clean that up. Yeah, and VMAX is still here. I believe we have a Heatran VMAX uh, on the way if it's not already been fully leaked. Um, and then I think there is... I saw something a little while ago, but Deoxys, V-Star, and VMAX are a thing, apparently, I think. Oh, I didn't um, know there was a out... VMAX. I know the V-Star's yeah. coming. I think it was both. I think it was there. It's, it's got both. Um, that's what I think I saw. So I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Don't quote me, but Deoxys? I thought I saw this. Yeah, Deoxys. Oh, Deoxys. V-star when you said Deoxys, I was thinking Dialga. Oh no, 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 Deoxys, V Star, and V Max. I thought I saw that somewhere. So I think V Maxes are still coming out, and will probably constantly be coming out until you know that fresh kind of fresh take of a February set, which will be coming out, you know, next year. But yeah, I think the V Maxes will like will they'll be like they're kind of like a slow trickle of V Maxes from here on out, like maybe one to two every set, probably. Um, but uh, yeah, this doesn't look too crazy, uh, and it's weak to psychic, so it's gonna be a rough time for it. <clears throat> And then it the does last have card, the, uh, the stadium to combine with it. Which, sorry, yeah, go ahead. You yeah, yeah, yeah. The, la- the, the last it. card that we have to go with it, of course, is the the was it Gape Jaw Bog. Whenever a player puts a basic Pokemon from their hand onto their bench, put two damage counters on that Pokemon. So it's basically like that old stadium that was really hard to get that was worth ten dollars, and you played with Magic Card, but I forget what it's <laughs> Team called. Team Magma's Secret Base. Yeah, Team Magma's Secret Base. So I mean, you could do something cool with this, maybe with Marpico as well. Besides, you know, okay. playing it with Machamp to build up the damage. But besides that, this probably won't see a. Uh, a ton of play i don't think so of these five cards which is probably the most likely to see competitive play in your mind of the five we just talked about uh well i mean gardenia's vigor for sure um yeah i think and then probably behind that is the grant um uh, because it's good with any fighting pokemon um whereas machamp you're probably playing a machamp deck and with uh a lilligant you're probably playing a lilligant deck and neither <laughs> of them seem ridiculously good although like i said lilligant probably could fit in which is kind of like a kind of like a grass box type deck um and that can just help you kind of be your initial setup um through the uh through the v-star ability so those are the new cards we'll see how good or bad they may be these will probably not be out i guess this would be like is this going to be in our may set or it might not even be until our world set potentially i don't think we even necessarily know uh yeah because i think it'll be a while most of the cards that are coming out in our May set Astral Radiance have uh, already been revealed for the most part. Yeah, but our May set is also our June set, right? Like it got pushed back to June, I think. And we well, we've also got, wait, is it in June now? I thought it was in May. I thought it was I think we're getting Bro, it in June. I, I could know. be wrong. We can't <laughs> I heard that it, I heard it was delayed and that we're not getting all this stuff till June now and that we're not getting the set till June. Maybe that could be but, true because I think the Pokemon Go set is supposed to come out before that, right? Which we yeah, don't. Who I knows so. what that's going to have in it, right? That could be it's supposed uh, to be a, a Mewtwo V Star, I think, or a Mewtwo V Max, something. I well, think a Mewtwo in there. Lots of new cards. It's all. That's one of my favorite parts of Pokemon is seeing the new cards, new game mechanics, new game designs. I always like just seeing stuff that's new and uh, getting a chance to try it out and see what we can uh, make happen with it. And speaking of making stuff happen. We've got a regional championships to talk about where Robin Scholes was definitely making stuff happen. Liverpool regionals was this past weekend, had 372 players in attendance, and the 2018 world champion Robin Scholes was the winner with, I think, a deck that a lot of people would be surprised. Rapid Strike Urshifu VMAX. Azul, is this something you would have uh, expected to see winning the event in a field full of Mew VMAX? 
Um, I mean, it's the deck is so much more than Rapid Strike Urshifu, though. It's almost one of those decks where you look at it and it's kind of just like, what are the best pieces to solve the puzzle of the format? And it's just like, oh, it is kind of Rapid Strike Urshifu, but it only plays like a 2-2 Rapid Strike Urshifu. And then the other attackers are like a one Hoopa and a one Baby Moltres. So it's kind of just like, what is the best fighting Pokemon that can KO? Uh, uh, what is it called? Arceus and also just be powerful in matchups. Okay, that's Rapid Strike Urshifu. And then it's like, okay, how can we make it so Rapid Strike Urshifu can actually compete consistently up against Mew VMAX? And it's like, okay, let's throw in some of these dark Pokemon. And then, I mean, the list is crazy. It's wild. It's, one, it's probably the hardest deck to play in the format for sure. I think maybe even harder to play than Sanders control deck that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but yeah, a lot of one ofs. Every supporter is a one of twenty-two um, one of cards. Twenty-two. That is insanely high for a Pokemon <laughs> TCG deck. Normally, whenever someone shows me like their first Pokemon they've built, like deck that they've built, that it has twenty-two one ofs, right? Like <laughs> one 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 lines of all their Pokemon, and you're like, all right, you gotta go back to the drawing board on this. Let's up the consistency, play more copies of these cards because it's gonna make your deck better. But Robin was like, no problem. One of every single supporter as well. That was probably the craziest part to me is that there was no duplicate supporters in the entire deck. Yeah, that was definitely a little bit, it was a little bit like there was no research. There was no Marnie. Um, I think mean, a lot of the supporters made sense to have one of those, but there was a lot of them. There was one Raihan. Makes sense to have one of one Clara. Okay, we've been seeing that in a lot of the Arceus decks with the Moltres. You got a Moltres in here. Got to bring it back. One boss. Okay, that's pretty standard. If Urshifu decks play a boss, especially with Intellion, they usually have one of those. But then you you get into what you would consider the draw supporters, and there's like one Bird Keeper, one Cynthia's Ambition, and one Zinnia's Resolve. And, and that was no it. research. Like no research, no Marnie. Yeah, absolutely wild. Uh, also has the one Cheryl, which can give you yep. the healing option on your VMAXs, which I think, you know, it's got 330 HP. So if you're not playing against Mew VMAX, just getting a turn to heal a Pokemon with that much HP just sets your opponent back so, so far. And uh, I mean, that's why Sharon's Care is so good in the Arceus decks, right? Because you can just heal so much damage out of play. And then I guess if you're playing all these one-ofs, you got to play a one copy of Peonia, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're going to prize something important at some point uh, that you need yeah. in one of these matchups because everything is a one-of. Yeah. And I mean, and whenever you, and they did, there was a, an ordinary rod and, and a pal pad. So if any of the one-ofs ever got, uh, you know, lost to the discard pile, they could be recovered. But yeah, definitely a lot going on in that deck. You have to play very precise um and we saw quite a few very good players play the deck only one of them made it into day two uh tor did face pedro on the winning in uh, but then like fabian and nico i'm not sure where they got lost along the 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 route in day one but yeah a lot of great players playing it but definitely looks to to be a quite a hard deck to pilot um and then i'm sure there's with that many one ofs there's got to be a couple games in there where you're just going to lose to having some pretty unfortunate prize cards. Because with that many one-offs, it's just bound to happen. Even with the Peonia, that's a supporter you're using for your turn to try and fish out some prize cards. But you have six of them, especially if you're using it as yeah. your, as a, before you draw any prize cards. You know, there's six of them. You're trying to get one of those, one of those, one of those six. It can be hard to get it sometimes. So uh, crazy deck. You know, huge congrats for Robin to to winning with it. And um, yeah, we'll, I don't I don't expect it to see a ton of play from here on out. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to try and pick it up to try and master it. But if you're looking for a challenge, I would definitely recommend pick, picking up this deck and trying it out because the couple games I put in with it, it is it's pretty hard to play. And I haven't even figured out most of the lines of play that you can even do with the deck. So it's it's pretty difficult for sure. This is definitely one of those decks where in order to play it, 
uh, at its highest potential, you have to put in a ton of hours with it. And you have, to, even after you've put in a ton of hours, every single decision matters so, so much. Just that's the nature of playing a deck with so many one-ofs because if you yeah. use a key resource at the wrong time, you're not going to have access to it because it's a one of like you've got a couple ways to recover a few things like you said but you know you're using your one boss using that one bird keeper as a switching option if you use those just too early just because you're like hey i need to draw some cards or hey i could take this knockout that could lose you the game in three turns and you just don't even know it yet so that's what i love about yeah. decks like this and what i love about seeing great players like robin pilot them to success uh, yeah, so massive congrats to Robin. I also think it's funny that Robin won the uh, 2018 World Championships and then in the 2019 season won an International Championships and then now in 2022 wins his first regionals of like the new cash era. I believe he won, you know, some yeah. regionals back in the day in Germany before you know, the regionals were quite as big as they are nowadays. So yeah. you kind of, usually players are like, all right, my goal is to win a regionals. <laughs> Robin was like, I'm going to start with worlds. Then we'll, we'll scale it back and I'll get the regionals eventually. You know, maybe Robin will win his first league cup this coming season or something like that. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then moving on from there, uh, second place was, was Malamar and also Joe Bernard who went nine Oh in day one. Yes. Um, also made top eight with Malamar. I think Joe actually lost to Robin in top eight, um, if I'm not mistaken. I think um, it is. And we got to talk about that a little bit. Going nine and oh in day one is incredibly hard to do, especially because, yeah. you know, it, it's not the like it's hard to start with like five oh at a regionals. Right. But like a lot of people start five oh at a regionals. Anyone can get off to a hearts hot start. But then once you start playing against better players who are also at that high match points record things can start to fizzle out a bit for you. Um, so getting, you know, the 6-0, the 7-0, each win gets harder and harder and harder because you're playing against the other, you know, players who are running hot and having great tournament days and other players who picked really good decks for the event and obviously other really high-skilled players. So very few players have ever actually managed to go 9-0 at a regionals. It doesn't happen that often. Maybe at just a few regionals a year. So big congrats to Joe for making that happen. Yeah, and... Um... <clears throat> uh what i want to say as well is a lot of people have been like uh one of the things that i heard is like a critique of malamar or one prize decks in general is like do you have enough time um and i always thought that was weird when i heard that in like so many other um you know like meta talks or stuff leading up to events like people that was like a talking point was like can you even play malamar you know at a regional championship are you just gonna go 009 but um i just feel like any of the people who said yes i just hadn't played Malamar because the deck's not very slow no <laughs> like the deck's not actually that slow i think a lot of people just didn't play Malamar or one prize decks in general. I think even if you brought like something like a mad party, you're not tying that often as long as you know the deck and you're playing at a reasonable pace. So I mean I think this kind of proves that for sure. Second place, you know, Joe going 9-0 in day one, no ties, that um it's not hard for Malamar to deal with uh the 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 restraints of uh of the time, right? Um and uh yeah both of them were playing Inteleon, but I think it's pretty much established yeah. Inteleon's better than Sincino. If you want to succeed with Malamar, the better way is to play the Inteleon build. Um, neither played Manaphy. Of course, that's something that might change here going into um, this next week and the following weeks because after, you know, Robin played this Urshifu deck, you know, will that be more people playing this Urshifu deck or just other snipe decks in general? Maybe like Jolteon could see a resurgence, which I think there was zero Jolteon actually in top or day two of this tournament. There were um, not we saw... any Jolteon in day two, no. 
Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like even going into the tournament, I said Malmar was one of my favorite picks. Uh, like I said last week on the cast. So, uh, and I still think it is. It's probably definitely. I think it's definitely solidified itself definitely as a uh, tier one deck here for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like it is a top tier deck, which is kind of crazy. I don't think that uh, three weeks ago many people would have thought that Malamar was a top tier deck, but as people have refined the lists, this Intellian engine is super strong. Cynthia's ambition is incredibly good. And it makes it so that your matchups, besides spread decks, your matchup is pretty much like how many rapid strike cards can I get in my hand? It's not like even what you're sitting across from necessarily. It's like you just look at that <laughs> HP number and it's like, okay, can I get there? <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter if it's an Arceus, doesn't matter if it's a Mew, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, whatever other VMAX, Sandaconda, whatever. It, you just look at that HP number and count by four and try to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, definitely. So there were also two Mew and Cuts, quite different from the Salt Lake City Regionals where we saw no Mews in Cut. There's actually quite a bit of Mews still at this tournament. I would probably guess that it was probably one of the most played decks at the tournament still, if not the most played deck at the tournament still. Uh, so we did see two in Cut, Leonard Timmers and David Rudhoff. Uh, Leonard got top four, David with the top eight. Uh, one of them was playing Tower of Darkness and the other one was playing Rose Tower, and I think there are pluses and minuses to both versions. I think with less Path to the Peak being played in decks, which that's something we were talking about before the cast, is like it doesn't feel like there's that many decks playing Path to the Peak, and the ones that are playing Path to the Peak aren't playing that many of them. So yeah. if, if that's the case, you know, Rose Tower is pretty good. But in a heavy Path to the Peak meta, Tower of Darkness feels pretty strong, and then it also obviously gives you that additional dig of being able to discard one of your extra Tower of Darkness to the Tower of Darkness, so that's a little deck thinning plus extra deck draw as well. Uh, do you have a preference between which Tower variant of this deck you like? Uh, I think I still prefer the Rose Tower because I've been bailed out of by Rose Tower so often oh, <laughs> on like the turn one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like Tower of Darkness is like, I feel like Tower of Darkness almost feels like a crutch in the late game where it's like, oh, I've missequenced twice and now I drew a couple less cards. So then it gets me there a little bit deeper. But once I've like set up and established my board state, I either hit everything I need already. Um, there's very few times where I feel like Tower of Darkness, the extra two cards actually makes that big of a difference. But the Rose Tower, those first two to three cards at the beginning of the game, or even sometimes turn two, turn three, you can still thin out your hand to pretty low and draw like a couple with Rose Tower. I feel like you're still drawing, you're drawing about the same amount of cards with Rose Tower as Tower of Darkness, but the cards you draw with Rose Tower are more impactful than the cards you actually draw with Tower of Darkness. Because with Tower of Darkness, all the time it feels like, all right, I'll use my, my third Genesect. And oh, I guess I'll draw two more cards. Why not? Whereas Tower, Rose Tower is like, please give me a battle VIP pass turn one, right? And then when you hit it, you're like, okay, let's go. Um, so it definitely feels like the Rose Tower, the cards you get off Rose Tower are way more impactful than the cards you get off Tower of Darkness, even if you're drawing about the same amount of cards. Um, and then another cool thing that we saw in one of the lists, I'm not sure who it was, but also Tord did this as well. Actually, Tord played a 3-2 Mew VMAX, but down to 2 Mew VMAX, and I wasn't sure if it was David's or leonard's uh, list david, one of them was... david played two mu v max okay so yeah david played a four two mu v max and we also saw Tord playing a, a three two mu v max line so a little bit a little bit less mu in towards build but uh and leonard was sticking with the, with the good old four three but uh i actually kind of like the two mu v max I, I experimented with three two for a while towards the end of last format mm -hmm. um and i really it really felt really good i don't know why i actually didn't even try it out in this format to be honest i kind of just gave up on it i guess but uh maybe it was just kind of the fear of ultra ball having to play ultra ball so consistently and like the fact that you have ultra ball allows you to be a little bit more aggressive with discarding cards so like you kind of almost want that extra one around it feels like sometimes but uh yeah i mean david made it work it definitely seems like it's uh 
you'd rather play less than more to be honest so if it's if it works it's definitely correct to play two mu v max i think for sure i don't know bro i posted a list with three mu v max or three mu v a few weeks ago and i got some massive flack on twitter for it people were <laughs> like what compelled you to do this and that's not the worst card you could have cut from the deck, but it's definitely not the best card you could have cut. So <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, when Tord does it, though, it's, you know, Tord's Tord, right? Tord can do whatever he wants. Uh, yeah, you should just wait till Tord had done it first, and then you would have been in all in the clear. Right, but... right. No one would have said anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Mew being a couple of places in top cut, um, you know, definitely makes sense after not having a finish in Salt Lake City. Obviously, I think everyone knew that it was still the best deck in the format, still would be the most popular deck. Maybe Salt Lake City, it just got countered a little too hard. The top, top players didn't play it. And, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a perfect storm for it to whiff top six, uh, top 30, top eight, top eight. <laughs> to be honest. Because um, yeah, there was still a ton here. It was the most popular deck day one and day two by far, I think, mm -hmm. so... Still a ton in the tournament overall. And the other deck that made top four, we've got an Arceus Intellian deck with Crobat VMAX, played by Alessandro Frenda. Crobat VMAX, kind of a little uh, spicy inclusion there. It's a dark type that hits really hard, and if you're already playing Crobat in your deck, I guess it makes sense that you know it, it's less deck space than fitting in something like Malamar VMAX, right? Yeah, no, it, the Crobat VMAX is actually something that I was we I was working on with in the uh, Arceus deck yeah. leading into Salt Lake City. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it just it just kind of fits in the deck. If you already want to play Crobat, like, why wouldn't you want to play Crobat? Crobat's a great card to have in any deck to just draw more cards, right? So then you may as well, you could just play Dark Energy, and then when you attack with Arceus, you just put your energy on your Crobat, and if you can make it into a VMAX before Mew KOs it, you're wanting to KO Mew VMAXs, which is, like, one of the situations you can get into against Mew VMAX is neither of you are taking one hit ko's but they're so ahead on the ahead on the prize trade they're okay with just kind of hitting into your arceus v-star and being like well i still win because you can't want to ko me but now you have this crobat v max and that's what a lot of people try to do with like the baby maltrace builds and there is a baby maltrace still in this list as well it's like okay now i can want to ko your mu v max still but it's easier to kind of do it with the crobat v max than it is to do it with a baby maltrace sometimes so now the crobat v max super cool to see it uh see some success here um and this list was actually like crazy in general there's two path which of course you got to play some path it did play the dunsparce and that's what i was saying on the cast last week i believe which is like if you're playing arceus you want to play dunsparce because you don't know what random and now that the, the format got a little bit more defined i felt like i was like you don't know what random fighting stuff is going to show, show up so i was super happy to see uh the dunsparce in there as well because i was like i like i would have definitely played dunsparce if i played any arceus deck going into this tournament and then there was the judge as well which is like a cool tech to kind of disrupt those mu decks when they kind of rode them from that stadium on top yeah, definitely a good option, and I think that's kind of the maybe I mean, we saw that from Brisbane Regionals, right? With uh, Henry Brand and Mitch Nucky played the judge, right? And I yeah. feel like that's something we'll see pop in and out, just kind of depending on how popular Mew is in a given meta, and if it's going to continue to be the most popular, it's probably not a bad play. And then we move on to uh, what we'll probably spend the most time talking about for the rest of the cast is. Uh, Maybe not even that much time because we can't, our yeah. brains can't comprehend <laughs> it, honestly. And that is Sanders Control Deck. So there are a few certainties in life, right? Death, taxes, and Sander making top eight at a regionals with a control deck. It's going to happen at any tournament he shows up at. He's going to play control. And this list is wild, Azul. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. There's a lot going on. I had a chance to play a couple games with it the other day. I actually won all the games I played with it. Um, probably not 
all in the uh the route that is most optimal but uh, <laughs> i started i started putting like the the lines of play um uh started putting it together with some the, i started putting it together some of the lines of play to you know close out games you got a lot of energy disruption for the mu matchup specifically and then against the arceus decks you got that Altaria loop that you can set up with the Eldegoss eventually, and you can kind of just loop Altaria uh, or loop heal Altaria with Eldegoss if they set up an Italian to attack. And if they don't set up an Italian to attack, you just kind of leave the Altaria in the active and kind of win the game. So it was, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that the deck can do. There's a lot of stuff in it that I don't understand why it's there. Like the wheezing is interesting. It feels pretty good against Mew, but I don't know if there's like a specific matchup for it or not. Like there's just like a whole bunch going on in there. <laughs> yeah, no surprise that uh, Sander brought something that uh, not not quite any everyone else understands and then uh, that they got top eight as well. Yeah, this is definitely the type of deck that the person who made it is the only one who can, you know, truly play it to its full potential, right? Because I'm sure that this, whenever Sander started testing control, it probably looked 40 cards different than what this version of the deck looks like, right? <laughs> and it just evolves over time. As you test certain matchups, you know what's good, you know what's bad, you know what lines are best. I would imagine Sander put, you know, dozens and dozens, potentially hundreds of hours probably dozens and dozens hundreds kind of gets a little high but you know a lot of hours nonetheless of uh testing into this deck because it is definitely it's a wild one so just i guess to explain the process of the deck is you've got zoark uh with its phantom transformation ability which lets you swap it with a stage one pokemon in your discard pile so it plays a three two zoark line you got the 3-3 three, three Chinchino line with its make-do ability. You got three Snorlax, so that's kind of your setup and your draw power is Chinchino and Snorlax. And Chinchino also gets your Pokemon in the discard pile. And then depending on what matchup you are playing, you know, if you're against a Mew deck, if you're against a, um, a Arceus deck, if you're against Gengar, whatever the matchup may be, you can maneuver what you want to do based off of that. And you can also maneuver what you want to do based off of what your opponent does, right? So even within matchups, you have so many different lines of play. There's not like, uh, oh, I'm playing against Mew Max. This is my game plan. It's like, oh, I'm playing against Mew Max. These are my seven game plans, right? <laughs> and you have to determine based on what they do, which is the best one, which is just so, so wild. So some of the stage one Pokemon in this deck that you're trying to swap out with Zork, we've got the Altaria, which you also have two Swablu in here. So it's Altaria's Miraculous Charm prevents all damage done to it by Pokemon V and GX, which doesn't do much against Mew since they can max Miracle it most of the time. But against yeah. Arceus decks, their only way to hit it generally in lists right now is... Uh, Intellion. You know, they play the Galarian Moltres, but that only does more damage if you've taken prize cards. Sander's not planning to take prize cards, right? So that's no problem. And then uh, with a uh, with the one copy of Pot Helmet, the tool card from Brilliant Stars, you put it on the Altaria. Altaria doesn't get KO'd to Aqua Bullet. And then you Sharon's Care, pick up the Altaria, put it onto the Benched Swablu, which didn't get damaged from Aqua Bullet because of the mana fee that you play, which is protecting your bench from getting damaged. There's just so much happening here. And uh, all of that you know, combos together perfectly for this to just be able to beat those types of things. And I just want to run through the other stage one Pokemon. It's got an 011 Dusknor line. So one Dusclops, one Dusknor, no Dusk Skull with the Spectral Beat Breach, all special energy attached to Pokemon. 
uh, provide colorless energy and have no effect. Great against double turbo energy. Good against fusion strike energy uh, because it means Meloetta doesn't really do any damage. Though I guess the Mew player doesn't really want to attack with Meloetta right in this matchup. We've got the 1-1 one, one yeah, Rabombi. Sorry, go ahead. That, that like uh, specifically shuts down single strike decks for the most part. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Dustnor. You just can't. You just, we get it in play Dustnor and like any other single strike deck just can't attack. And then a 1-1 Rabombi, which I didn't even realize this card existed, which seems kind of wild because <laughs> the effect of it is pretty good. It deals 30 damage, and then you move an energy from your opponent's active to one of their benched Pokemon. So you can, you know, if you're against a Mew player, you just throw the Rabombi up there and put that energy on a Genesect. <laughs> and it's not going to do them much good on a Genesect because uh, it can only Technoblast every other turn, and Technoblast can't hit through Altaria. So that's... You know, so many different ways. We got the one Weezing you talked about, one Gorbis to shut down <laughs> Rapid Strike Pokemon so that even, you know, maybe the one win condition you had as an Intellion deck was your quick shooting. You can still spread damage with quick shooting. Nope, not with Gorbis <laughs> existing. Uh, and then we've got, uh, and that's all the stage one Pokemon. We've got one Manaphy and one Pukamuku, one Eldegoss V. And Eldegoss V is kind of a key piece to this deck because it allows you to infinite uh your resources so that you never deck out which is kind of a crazy process in and of itself yeah it's got like the you 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 can attack with eldegoss to put it back in your deck and when you put eldegoss in play with his ability you can search your discard pile for a supporter card and then the one supporter card that you can use to kind of basically create infinite resources is team yells cheer which allows you to search your discard pile for three supporters or pokemon and shuffle those back into your deck um, you can also just kind of do the standard uh, like Bird Keeper loop where you like use Eldegoss, you get Bird Keeper, you switch into the Eldegoss, you attach the Eldegoss, you attack with Eldegoss, you put Eldegoss back in the deck, um, <laughs> and then you draw for turn. And then if you don't draw into the Eldegoss, you use Pukumuku to force the Eldegoss into your hand, still having one card in the deck so you don't deck out. And then you put down the Eldegoss. Oh, no, I guess you could do that all in one turn anyways. You only have to do that when you have the... I, I had a situation where I had the Dustnor in play, so I had to attach the Eldegoss twice to mm. be able to do the Eldegoss loop. So in that situation, you have to use the Pukumuku. But if you can use your DTE, you just draw the Eldegoss, put it down, get the yeah, Bird Keeper, basic, Bird Keeper right? to Eldegoss, attach, repeat. But whenever you want like extra stuff, like besides just the Bird Keeper, if you want to get... I don't know. Whatever else you want to get, you can just use the Team Yell's Cheer, put back three cards. Eldegoss can recover the Team Yell's Cheer constantly, and you just kind of repeat that process over and over. You could just like get all your stuff back if you wanted to, which you probably don't want to. And you can eventually win by drawing six prize cards because Eldegoss does do, well, 30 damage with the DT. So it'll take a while, but um, if your opponent's doing absolutely nothing because you got an Altera in your active, you can eventually win by doing 30 damage turn after turn after turn. But uh, the next wild, it's crazy. Um, Super cool to see, though. Super cool to see Sander be able to come up with something. I think that's the coolest part, is that Sander was able to still come up with something, and uh, I hope they can co constantly do it, even if no one else can kind of pick up the decks and play with them. The the fact that it is possible is the, uh, is the best part about it overall, I think. Absolutely. I mean, everyone was talking about how there's no room for creativity in this format, and here comes <laughs> Sander's creative brain and making crazy stuff happen. So big shout-outs to oh, yeah. Sander. Always love seeing the unique decks that they come up with. And then the top eight is rounded out by Arceus Moltres, played by uh, Chriso Wallantis Amadentis. <laughs> I tried, man. I tried. I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse my American. So Chris played a Arceus Moltres deck, which I... I assume it's probably baby Moltres, maybe the Galarian Moltres yeah. V. There is no deck list posted for this deck yet, though. It will probably be on Pokemon.com at some point. Um, they have not updated that quite yet, though. So that closes out the top eight. Other things to take away, you know, Tord played Switching Cup Mew. 
Uh, it's always interesting to see what Tord plays because Tord is definitely considered the best Pokemon player out there right now and um, still made top 16, I believe. Did he make top 16, right? I think lost the winning in, but I think ended out outside of top 16 on okay. that. On the loss. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did, did finish in the top 32. Court. Top 32. Yeah. With the Switching Cup Mew, we talked about that deck, that deck a little bit already. Uh, 16 Mew players were in day two, 15 yep. Arceus decks in day two. And obviously all the Arceus decks are quite different, but it's pretty apparent that that card is very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no surprise. Yeah, Mew was probably by far, like by far the most popular deck in day two. Probably the most popular Arceus deck was something like Arceus Inteleon. I could see I could see Arceus Baby Moltres being the most popular, which is like basically what both of the lists were in top eight, to be honest. You had um alessandro's list that had it had the baby maltrace sure it was just a one of but i'm if the other list just had two baby maltrace like a lot of the lists were playing it's not that far off right um uh, and then uh one gengar in day two total after we saw it kind of dominate to be honest salt lake city yeah um and i know a lot of people were pretty outspoken on the fact that they thought that was uh that gengar was not as good as it showed in salt lake city um so maybe that is true and maybe that's why that's why we kind of saw that finish here i think one of the biggest uh hurdles for gengar in this event though was malamar rapid strike malamar is a pretty tough matchup for gengar um and malamar i think was the third most popular deck in day two i want to say um but it was, like, up there. it was like yeah it was up there's like seven of them in day two so two in top eight um, two in top 16 and i imagine it was also probably pretty popular in day one so yeah it's a, that's a pretty that's a pretty tough matchup for gengar so um, that was definitely something that Gengar would have to kind of overcome in this region. We saw, yeah, only one in day two in top 32. Not a great finish for Gengar. Is it completely dead? Probably not. But, um, you know, we'll see how it uh, goes from there for that. And then uh, the three regional winners so far are all uh, very accomplished players so far. So that's another great thing to kind of see in the game is just that we see, you know, top players continuing to be top players. So that's been really cool. Uh, of course, we had Natalie winning... Uh, the Brisbane Regional, Drew winning the Salt Lake City Regional, and now we have Robin Schultz winning uh, Liverpool. So yeah, three well-established, accomplished players all winning um, the first three regionals, which is great to see. And we'll see what happens, uh, you know, next week. Hopefully that trend continues. Uh, of course, it is always it is nice to see sometimes new players, uh, you know, break in there and get their first win. But it's a, it's a good sign for the game that you know being good at the game consistently is still a thing. Yeah. High skill players being able to win these big tournaments is definitely a good sign that the, uh, you know, maybe the game, maybe the metagame is not quite as terrible as everyone was making it out <laughs> to be us included. Right. Uh, pre Brisbane. Yeah. I definitely feel like uh, the online era kind of got us tunnel visioned on like, you know, this best deck is the only deck and like, it's the biggest thing. And, we got all this to worry about. It's so overpowered. Uh, when in reality, there's so many other factors that go into what allows a deck to succeed at a regional championships. And so I think it's good that yeah. we're we're seeing a bit more diversity in the meta. And uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm actually having quite a bit of fun playing this this current meta uh, just in the last couple of weeks compared to where I was mentally about it three weeks ago. No, it definitely does feel quite quite a bit better. I thought Brisbane was like the nail in the coffin. We saw that the new build with just DTE <laughs> right. seemed to dominate the tournament, and it was just like, oh no. And then uh, and then yeah yeah, Salt Lake City happened, and then we saw some some more life from the format from there. And then especially going into Liverpool, we saw even a greater uh, resurgence of uh, just variety in decks. So it's just great to see. Yeah, I was definitely on the uh, 
on the uh, <laughs> on the side of things where I was not enjoying the format uh, overly. But yeah, I mean, I think Mew still is the best deck in the format. It'll be the most popular deck in the format until the next set, um, and only then will we could probably see a really dr- dramatic or uh, drastic change in the in those terms of Mew kind of falling out of that, falling off its throne. I think even though it's not winning these events, not all of them did win the first regional. Of course, it's still uh, it's it's still it's still uh, still king for sure. Uh, the number one deck to look out for, no matter no matter what tournament you're playing in, for sure. And now it's time to move on to everyone's favorite segment on the Uncommon <laughs> Energy podcast, and that is Guess That Flavor Text, where one of us brings the other person a bit of flavor text from a Pokemon card in the Pokemon TCG, and the other player, the other person, the other host has to guess what card the flavor text belongs to. So this week, I've brought a card to Azul. In episode one, Azul got my first pick correct. In episode two, I was very wrong in uh, my guess for episode two. So Azul's up on me 1-0 right now. I mean, are we going to yep. keep track of this, I guess? I don't know. Uh, maybe yeah, someone could. out there in the community will help <laughs> us keep track of it. But uh, but yeah, so moving. Uh, yeah, so now we'll look at your guess for this week, Azul. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It looks as if it's always crying. It is actually adjusting its body's fluid levels by eliminating excess. Well, I mean, I feel like the only, like, it would be so bad if I don't guess Sobble. But I feel like that's so obvious that this is probably a bait. But if, but that's the only thing I can think of is, but I think, I feel like Sobble is actually crying sometimes. That makes so, it kind what's, of like what's the thought process guess. here? What what in well, the be, flavor text led you to this deduction? Well, it said you. Well, Sobble's crying. <laughs> Sobble's always crying. So Bro, you gotta like you crying. gotta like lengthen it, it out like a little crying. bit more than that. I can't pose the question and then you just say, "Oh, I think it's this." You gotta give it a second. Well, talk us through the thought process. Well, Sobble looks like it's crying, <laughs> so it makes me initially get think that it's Sobble. Sobble's always crying, but I think in my head now that I think about Sobble, I feel like Sobble's actually crying and you said this pokemon it just looks the, the flavor text says it looks like it's crying but not it isn't actually crying but i can't think of another pokemon that i've ever thought about and looked at and I'm like oh it looks like it's crying so that makes me think this just has to be sobble i can't see this being any other card and if i don't get if i guess sobble that's like a fair if I, and i'm wrong that's kind of like all right well that's fair but if i don't guess sobble and then i'm wrong it gets bad but i can't actually think of any other pokemon that looks like they're crying that isn't sobble um and but the only thing i can think of is that it looks like sobble's actually crying in some of the artworks i've seen of it but maybe that's just maybe that i'm just thinking of people's <laughs> takes on sobble as opposed to actual card artwork of sobble because when i think of the card artwork of sobble it's never actually crying the chilling it rain one is definitely like it crying has. isn't it is it you keep calling he's like sitting there under the waterfall right i'm guessing sobble <laughs> it's not sobble wait what it Sorry, is, what is bonsley and there is Bonsley. only <laughs> it's no. Bonsley, the little crying potted plant. And there is Damn. only one Bonsley card that has ever been released in English. There, I think, are two in Japanese. There was a promo, but yeah. there's only one that's ever been released in English. It's a basic Pokemon from the Diamond and Pearl base set. And if you look at him, he he looks like he's crying, but he's not crying. It's it's just it's body's fluid levels eliminating excess, right? Of course, yeah. How could I have thought otherwise? Bro, this is a twelve dollar card right now on TCG Player. The Bonsley. It's the the only Bonsley dude. People who want to to collect every Pokemon card 
That's the only option. If they want to get Bonsley, it's this one, and that's it. It's the same thing for Mantike. There's only one Mantike card. I was about to ask, is there any other? And I see the Mantike here card here. Is, it, is, that, is, that, is that the only two cards that there's one of? So is there any Actually, other? I think there might be two Mantikes now that I think about it. Oh. But I'm pretty sure that in English, those are the only ones. And no, there is only one Mantike. So. Okay, Mantike and Bond. Do you know if there's any others at, at past those that are only one of? Or does Not everyone else have a... I think those are the only Gen 4 baby Pokemon, which I think is the only ones that are like that. Interesting. They gotta, we gotta give us another Bonsley and Mantike then. Have they been doing baby Pokemon recently? I haven't even really been paying attention. I think the last baby Pokemon we had was the Cleffa, or the Iglybuff, uh, you know, the tag team, the triple tag team. What was it? Iglybuff, oh, yeah. Togepi, yeah. and Cleffa, uh, right? They're not, they're not giving giving us baby Pokemon in the forms that they used to give them where they were like actually like a different kind of card. No. They're just, they're just like kind of there sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well... I guess that ties things up. <laughs> Wait, so do I get a point for that? Or no, you just don't get a point, right? So it's still one out. So it's still one out. It's still one out, yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll next get... week you next week you have a chance to redeem yourself and, and catch up. Well, you're in an advantage here because you you know, you got to start, right? You got the well, first that's why we're shot. waiting. I'm not I don't actually have an advantage yet. After next week we'll re we'll retally the scores, right? Okay. Once we've had two two guesses each. That's where we'll it'll really we'll see if it evens up or not. Um but yeah, moving on from what should have been Sable, but wasn't Sable. Um, we have another regionals coming up. Um, Sao Paulo regionals is this weekend. Uh, and the first thing I want to mention is there will be a stream for this regionals. Um, but there wasn't for, uh, for Liverpool. Um, so there will be a stream for, for this one Brisbane. though, which will be, or for Brisbane. There was not original. There was not a stream for Liverpool or Brisbane. There will be for this one though, which is great. Um, and which just would have been nice to have, you know, a stream at, at all of them. It's just kind of unfortunate that we didn't. And of course, we did have the Salt Lake City regional stream, but that one was done officially by Pokemon. And we it, it makes sense that Pokemon can't get to all of them, especially like back-to-back-to-back weeks. Can you imagine? Just like they literally like just set up shop and then immediately pick up and go fly to another continent. And hey, then... listen, Pokemon, if you're listening, Again? I'm down. Send me out there. I'll do it. <laughs> Ships ready to go. I'm sure some of the other casters would be down as well um as long as none of them have real jobs and they can they can actually make it happen um but yeah it would have been tough for them but yeah i'm excited to actually watch some stream some more stream gameplay i wasn't able to watch Salt Lake city live obviously because i was there um but i'll definitely be watching that on my stream we'll be checking out that um and watching it as it happens um but um yeah the next regional is coming up what do you think chip you think Mew's gonna be still the number one deck I mean, I feel like there's no way it isn't, right? <laughs> I mean, it's still just super powerful. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, I think, a factor that a lot of people don't consider in the week leading up to a regionals is that a high amount of players have their deck picked out, uh, you know, a couple of weeks in advance, right? So the players have probably yeah. been testing and have an idea of what they want to play and they're sticking with what they're comfortable with, which I think is a good idea. I think generally you should stick with what you're comfortable with heading into a regionals. That's how you're going to find a lot of success, especially if you are someone who has yet to make a deep run in a regionals. I think your best chance to make a deep run in a regionals, if you are someone who has yet to make a deep run, is if you are playing something that you're very comfortable with and very familiar with because you're going to that's where you're going to be able to uh, find your advantages during the tournament. 
Uh, so, it, you know, if players have been testing Mew, I expect a lot of Mew to be in the events. It's obviously still been the most popular deck in, you know, Europe, Australia, and in the U.S. But, uh, Azul, you've actually played in several L.A. regionals. You've played in a couple L.A. internationals. In your experience, um, do you feel like the outside of Latin America meta really affects the Latin American players? Um, or like what kind of impact it actually has? I mean, I guess that's a tough question. I guess probably not really. I feel, I feel like there definitely is a little bit of a separation and it might just because I mean, I don't even know how big are their regionals usually. I mean, they're usually I feel like, pretty big. They're usually pretty big. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there is a little, I feel like America and Europe are the closest in terms of, um, overall meta. And then obviously when you have, you know, some of the best players in each of those regions coming up with crazy decks, like Robin winning this, this Liverpool, there's obviously going to be a little bit of a, a change up there and what actually could, what kind of crazy decks actually show up to the tournaments, of course. But I feel like in general, it's the kind of the same, but it feels like some of the results from, uh, um, maybe this is kind of the time frame with the meta. Maybe this will be kind of a good tell. I feel like I've never really paid this much attention to like all the regionals that are happening in the same time. And this one's kind of unique in the terms that this is like literally four weeks in a row. Right. Um, in each different region, which is also like kind of cool as well. It's kind of cool to just kind of see how everything is kind of uh, plays out and develops like uh, week to week. So um, I'm just going to be interested to see how it goes. I can't like think of like any specific uh, situations in the past where, um, it felt like their meta was that much different than anyone else's um, or that it felt like there was like a big impact from a uh, uh, tournament leading up to it. The one I do remember is before Philadelphia regionals, the last, last Philadelphia regionals, they had a regional before that. And that's where Buzz Garb Shrine was initially played. So their their tournament had a big impact on Philadelphia regionals, if I remember correctly, because um, they had like a Weavile Buzzwool Garbodor deck. Yeah, I remember that. that. I think I think won that tournament. Yeah, Caleb um, and that, that deck. Uh, and yeah, and then that led to Buzz Garb Shrine at Philadelphia Regionals, where yeah, Caleb did end up winning that tournament. Um, so they had an impact on one of our our, our tournaments pretty hard because if they never played that deck, who knows what have happened um, at at Philadelphia? To be honest, so um, but so yeah, just definitely interested to see what the overall meta uh, ends up being there for sure, and then more so what actually ends up coming out into the top eight. So we saw Rap Strike Urshifu just won Liverpool. We saw a good bit of Jolteon doing pretty well in Salt Lake City, and we've seen Rapid Strike Malamar kind of pop up as a Tier 1 deck. Do you think that it is worth it for these Rapid Strike Malamar decks to be including Manaphy in their lists right now? Because it feels like the only two hard auto-losses that that deck takes are to Rapid Strike Urshifu and to Jolteon, the two decks that can spread and kind of mitigate the prize advantage that you normally would have, right? Yeah, I think it may, it might just be. And and with the Manaphy, I would also try and include a Quick Ball so you can kind of, in every other matchup, just get rid of the Manaphy as soon as possible. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Grant um, and I were talking about this this weekend at a local tournament because Grant uh, was playing Rapid Strike Malamar and he just kind of had a realization partway through of like, I don't have a way to thin cards out of my deck. <laughs> like the only way that cards in my deck hit the discard pile is by me playing them or them being knocked out. Like I don't have a way to actively discard anything at all. No, I think, yeah, like a one of quick ball can be really nice even to discard like an extra, like if your hand is clogged with Cynthia's ambitions um, or even you want to get your boss's orders out of the hand. Uh, one of quick ball can be nice for that, especially once you include something like a mana fee, which is definitely just like a, definite like dead card in a lot of matchups i think you'd want to include one quick ball which is like a pretty easy fit i would say probably just cut a fog crystal everyone's playing for a fog crystal just cut a fog crystal out of manaphy 
Um, but I think it's a pretty reasonable to include. Uh, and we even saw outside of it winning uh, Edmund Curris, uh, the national champion from uh, North American national champion from 2013, I think. 2013 made day two in Liverpool with a Urshifu Arceus uh, Crobat VMAX deck. So Urshifu is kind of out there uh, and definitely gives decks a way stronger chance up against the Rapid Strike Malamar because um, it definitely hurts to put that third NK in play. Um, <clears throat> I guess Manaphy kind of does the same thing, but it's like not a Rapid Strike card and it keeps the NK in the deck, which means it's continuously searchable with Fog Crystal. So it's definitely much nicer to just put a Manaphy on your bench and protect yourself from the Urshifus. So I would say it's it's probably worth it going into this weekend. I think if I played Rapid Strike Malamar, which to be honest, if I had to pick a deck right now, I think I would pick Rapid Strike Malamar as my number one choice. I just really like the deck. Uh, it's a ton of fun. That or Mew probably, but um, yeah, I think I would include the Manaphy right now into, into, into Rapid Strike Malamar. Other decks, I'm not so convinced you need it. I guess maybe if you really think Urshifu is going to come through, you maybe need to be packing Manaphy and Dunsparce in your Arceus decks. Definitely Dunsparce. If you didn't play Dunsparce this week, put the Dunsparce in. The time has If the time wasn't last week, it's this week. Um, you've already made the mistake once. Put it in there. And it might be time to include the Manaphy as well if you want a, a chance up against some uh, of the of the snipe decks like the Rapid Strike Urshifu's. Yeah, I feel like Manaphy is definitely a potential inclusion in Arceus decks, but Dunsparce has just got to be in there. And I think that was actually... We didn't actually even talk about the Metacham V in Robin's list, but that is kind of an interesting card that makes a big difference against the decks that play Dunsparce, right? Because you can just put two pings on it with the Intellian Quick Shooting and then Yoga Loop it, right? It's got 60 HP, so uh, Dunsparce can be really strong but it's also a potential liability uh to be honest at certain points so i don't know i feel like dunsparce could be really good in a deck that plays like the galarian zigzagoon already which i think galarian zigzagoon is pretty good in arceus right now like what xander perot played to top eight right uh and if you're doing that you're playing scoop up nets and so i feel like scoop up net is definitely a potential you know option to mitigate that downside of dunsparce you just get it out of play when it's got a couple damage counters on it uh it's just but i uh Put a big charm on the Dunsparce as well, and then oh. Charon's Carrot. <laughs> Galaxy Come Brain up. plays, bro. <laughs> yeah, big charm, big your Dunsparce. Charm you go up against, if you go up against the Urshifu decks, put the big charm on the Sparse. You don't need it on your Arceus if it doesn't have weakness anyway, so you'll be good. Big charm the Sparse, and then Charon's Carrot if they over overping it or whatever. It's the top player difference right there. Big charm in his Dunsparces. <laughs> Okay, Azul, so if you're going to the tournament, you already said Malamar is probably one of your choices. What are your top three overall choices? So you got Malamar. What are the other two playing in uh, Sao Paulo this weekend? Uh, Malamar, Mew. Um, yeah, Mew just is always going to be in the top three. Maybe, uh, you know what? I, I've been kind of hating on Arceus and Teleon a little bit. Um, but I guess Arceus and Teleon Moltres isn't quite... I really liked Alessandro's list. I liked all like the... That also was a deck that played a lot of one-ofs, right? I don't think we mentioned that very much, but there was a lot of one-ofs in that deck as well. So something like Alessandro's List, uh, like I said, I like the Crobat VMAX. I've been, I've been trying that out for a little bit, um, and it's definitely solid. So maybe something like that. Um, Avery is actually a card that I've wanted to test in Arceus Inteleon. It's really good against Malamar, and you can do like a weird play where you go like Pat to the Peak Avery in the same turn um, to try and limit Mew um on a turn so it's, it's kind of like a instead of going like path of the peak marnie or judge you're like okay discard some of your pokemon so even if you have a stadium can you even draw cards you have enough pokemon in the hand right so it's like another way 
to kind of be disruptive against Mew. So uh, something like that would just kind of, it just kind of sounds like a ton of fun to play. A lot of options and a lot of like cool tech cards you can just kind of fit in the deck and just have some fun with. So uh, those would probably be my top three for sure. Yeah, Arceus Avery actually sounds kind of insane. Not going to lie. <laughs> like, because uh, <laughs> like Malamar is probably your only tougher matchup out there because like Arceus decks, you just kind of do fine against everything but i would probably say it's slightly negative to malamar right just because malamar yeah. has the outprize trade and can just oko you with relative ease against a good player uh so having the avery that's just so good against that deck <laughs> because like what do they discard <laughs> i mean it's got to be the sobbles right so like and that yeah, just it means you're not gonna really be you're gonna have to play karina's focus return if you're playing karina's focus return that you got off of rapid strike search that's one less rapid strike card and that also means that you are probably not getting a ko so, yeah, Avery seems super good. I think my top three plays would also be an Arceus deck, for sure. I would also say Mew. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, I like Malamar just fine. I would definitely play the Manaphy. Um, I've always really liked playing Rapid Strike Urshifu. I don't know that I would play exactly Robin's List because, you know, that it's just that's probably just too much thinking honestly to <laughs> to try to play that deck but some some rapid strike urshifu deck like uh maybe something like edmund curris's deck with the arceus moltres rapid strike urshifu I, I i'm a big fan of that and you know fighting i think is a pretty solid type right now if you can just high roll and dodge the muse so uh yeah other than that i think that's gonna wrap things up for us this week thank you all so much for listening if you enjoyed, please be sure to leave a rating on the cast if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform. That is the easiest and fastest way to show your support because, uh, you know, that's how it helps people discover us and discover the cast. So I really would appreciate that. And also big thanks to everyone who has subbed to the YouTube channel. Like we said at the top of the cast, we have passed a thousand subscribers, which is absolutely incredible so thank you all so much for listening and watching over on the youtube channel be sure to sub if you're on the youtube channel and you can also follow us on twitter at uncommon underscore energy and you can also find me at trainer chip and azul at uh yeah at azul <laughs> gg on twitter twitch and uh youtube yeah and if yeah if you are listening on if you are watching on youtube be sure to like comment subscribe um uh for sure and yeah appreciate all the support Thank you, guys. We upload every single Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Good luck to everyone playing in any Pokemon tournaments this weekend, whether it be a Locals, a 1K, or in the Sao Paulo Regional Championships. Good luck to all the players out there, and thank you all so much for listening. Peace.